Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now through your word. Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've been personally learning a lot from the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, in my quiet times every day this week, yo, the Lord is changing me radically. Um, and uh, uh, he, he, he said to me, you know, don't spend time in the Word so that you can preach well. Spend time in the Word so that your life is changed and so that you're close to me and leave the preaching to me. And... Um, so I thought maybe the Lord is going to speak about, uh, through me, some of the things that he's been teaching me to change. And, uh, but I feel like that might be in a while, when I've lived it, and I can testify about it, rather than preaching something that the Lord is just doing in me now. Uh, but needless to say, <laughs> there's a lot of beautiful changes happening in me. Um, we never stop learning. And um, Andrew, uh, who leads Josh Jen and 412, and who leads me, um, taught me how to preach uh, in a way that is helpful uh, for those who hear it. And he taught me that to start with Asking the Lord, what do the people need? And so I asked the Lord, what do these people need this morning? And the Lord said to me, they need to see the value of God again. They need to feel the weight of eternity again. And therefore, they would be able to feel or perceive the diminished, the reduced importance or emphasis of certain things in this life, like comfort or pleasure or having our own way. Or, and on the other hand, appreciate the greater importance of other things. Things like love and serving others and giving our all to God and to one another. <coughs> Things like working hard so that we can share with others who have need, not so that we can add to what we already have. so that we can live in light of eternity now. So, what am I selling? What's the key point this morning? The key point is how we live now really matters. What we do with this Sunday afternoon that we have really matters. 
not just because of the impact of our lives on the here and now, even though that is important. Gavin works in real estate. And the way he does his job really matters for the people that rely on him when they're buying a building or renting a building, or, right? Because they, they rely on his expertise and that he's doing his job well and he's advising them well. And they make important business decisions based on how he lives and how he represents information and data and facts to them. And how we live how George studies his schoolwork really matters for his life. Because if he applies himself well, if he gives his whole heart to learning well and thinking about how does God want me to interact with life and relationships and work, and then he, his, his whole life will grow in that direction. But <coughs> those are two illustrations of why how we live matters for our here and now. But there is a then and there that's coming that how we live matters infinitely more to. Am I making sense? Why will this benefit you? Why will it benefit you to, to get this point if the Lord allows you to? It will benefit you because if we can grasp this, if we can understand it and then believe it, we, and if we can fight to keep on believing it to the point that we actually start to live it, it will set us free. It will set us free to joyfully follow Jesus, to joyfully change. Like Flores was saying, in three years, his life is completely different. He has completely changed. Why? Because he obeyed the Lord in doing stuff that would make him lose face. And that was hard. But he believed that he had to. To the point where he lived it out. He went to the person and said, I'm sorry I lied to you, whatever it was. I don't know the details. And his life changed, that relationship changed, and the Holy Spirit said, ah, okay, I've got room here. His obedience has taken him from being just a carpenter to being a carpenter who's leading a church. We had a time... I felt prophetically, I can tell you, that man is going to raise leaders in the Netherlands, hundreds of them, for the church, because of his heart and his life and the way he lives. That was something I felt prophetically. And so the way he has joyfully changed, it's not always easy, it's not always, but he's been set free from himself. Saving face, his own reputation. He's been set free to change. 
And we can also be set free to change, to joyfully sacrifice, to joyfully die to our own way, our own lives, to joyfully reject everything that the world will offer us for Christ. That's why it is so important. Can we have Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, faith? And it says, for you have been called to live in freedom. Is that good news? Who wants to be free? Okay, we all want to be free. But now this scripture clarifies what kind of freedom we've been set free from, or to, rather. And it says, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's very interesting. We think freedom is a wonderful open space. It's a good thing. But actually, as Christians, we've been set free from this wide open space where we can do whatever we want into a little paddock, and that paddock is called love. We've been set free from pleasing ourselves and spending on what we want and going where we want. We've been set free to be slaves of Christ, to live our lives bound. My Apple Watch wants to preach. We've been set free from doing what we want to being put within the boundaries of, that Christ has given us, which is love. You're like, okay, now hold on. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like it is freedom. It's freedom from self. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from selfishness. And there is a, there's something that we need to see. Sebastian shared a word this morning about how we need to see God as we come to Him. We need to see His value. We need to see. We need to, we need to see first, and then we will gladly sacrifice. We will gladly, like the, the, the woman who came and broke the perfume jar over Jesus' feet. Was that a radical thing to do? How much did that perfume cost, John? A year's wages. So in your turn, no, I'm kidding. A year's wages broken over the feet of Jesus. Is that radical? You say yes. I say no. It's not radical. It's the least you can offer. Because when you see him, he broke his body. He shed his blood. He came down from heaven. I was reading about how the Bible says, when you think about being generous, it says, remember the great generosity of Jesus, who though he was very rich, he came and he became poor for our sakes. And he died so that we might share in his glory. And when you see what he's done for you, it's not radical to give him a year's wages. It's not radical to do anything for him. 
because he deserves more. Does that make sense? But we have to see him in order to do that. So let's look at some scripture together so that we can build our faith regarding the value of Jesus and the call of Jesus and, and why it's so natural for us to live a life given to Jesus and given to one another completely. Okay, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 16. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Um, have you got any cash on you, love? No. Come on, love you. you oh. what, what's this? Oh. There we go. There we go. There's some cash. Where did you find that? Okay, here's some cash. This is an illustration, and I'm going to ask you to give it back to me when, when we're finished. Is that okay? Okay. It's an illustration. It's not generosity. Okay. I've got uh, two 200 rand notes and two 100 rand notes. Sure, that's good, lovey. Okay. Your birthday present from me. Okay, that's okay. Cool. Thanks for that, my sweetheart. <clears throat> okay. So, um, Mike, I would like you. Have you got some cash? Who's got some cash? Nick, you've got some cash. That was a mistake. Right there. <laughs> it's not as much. How much have you got? A, a 50. Okay, you've got two of them. I saw the other one there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something radical. Okay? I want you to take one of those 50s and give it to someone else. Okay, so you've given it to him. I'm going to repay you. How's that? Is that good? Okay. Can you take... No, wait. Don't give him that. You see, you see now, he's starting to learn how this works. You just got 50, right? Okay. Will you give it to someone else? Anyone? It's not complicated. Okay. I wonder if we're going to be able to keep track of this. Okay. Yeah? I'm going to repay you. There we go. Okay. Cool. Would you like to give the 50 to someone? Okay, yes. There we go. Ah, oh, thank you for giving your 50. Nick, would you repay him? You can, give, you can choose what you want to give him. Okay, so he's chosen to give him 100 to repay him. Well done, Nick. There's a 200. Okay. Are, are we getting the idea? Who wants to give some money away? I'll repay you. I, Mark, you do. Okay, all right. Okay, so try and make all the money return to where it should, it should be. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Okay, so, so everybody just give the money back. Okay, so. But here's the point. 
I want to try to get across to you by this simple illustration. When I said, me, Lucas, who you know has got two hundreds and two two hundreds, and I said, I will repay you, I'm willing to give. But when Jesus says, I will repay you, what do we do? Who's more trustworthy? He is. Luke chapter 9, faith. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Jesus asks some crazy stuff. Do you know accepting Jesus, uh, who, who has accepted Jesus into their life? Okay, great. I'm, one, I'm, I'm very happy. Joseph, have you accepted Jesus? Of course you have. I know you have, but you haven't raised your hand when I asked. Yeah. Okay. How many of you know, how does accepting Jesus start? It starts by? What do you think, Gary? How does it start? How does accepting Jesus start? Accepting Him into your life. Okay, that's how it starts. Uh, it means repenting of your sins. It means saying, please forgive me. It says, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. Right? Okay, that's what it starts with like a prayer in a sense, you know? But that's not even, that's just the beginning. How does accepting Jesus continue? What does it look like? Who said that? Ed, I, I can always rely on you. What does it say? By following the Holy Spirit, by listening to Him, by obeying Him. Jesus followed the Father. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only, the words that I speak are my Father's words. I'm only doing what He wants of me. And here, Jesus says, If anyone would follow me, who wants to follow Jesus? Oh, wait, wait, careful. He let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Does that sound difficult? Let him deny himself. That, like what you want, you're not going to do. And let him take up his cross. Take up his cross means climb onto something very painful and die. Practically speaking, Bronwyn, now's the time. Come and share about climbing on a cross and submitting, and I feel like it could be the right time. Okay, so this past week, um, 
So I recently got a promotion, and I think most people think when you get a promotion, you have more responsibility, you have a better job, you're in charge of more things. Well, my promotion is great, it's amazing, but it actually meant that I was serving the people that I work for or work with. So I work for an American company, and um, it's a Christian-based organization. So there is a young girl that... I've been with the company for four years, and um, there's a, a part of my job where I was in charge of the, um, the assets, like all the stuff that we put onto YouTube, the advertising and all of that. And that was my job. That was something I was in charge of. It was something I had authority over. And there's this young girl that is in the company that, that I work with, and my boss had given it to her. And it was a hard thing for me because I came into the job and I was like, why is she in charge of it? Because it's, it's something I've been doing for four years. And I struggled with this for a long time and um, you know, I, I felt like pride had come in. And this past week, I just felt the Lord sort of, so I had been praying for her, I had been praying for the position, I had been praying for everything in the work and the people that I work with. And this past week, I had to submit some stuff to her, and I felt the Lord saying to me, you need to come under submission to this girl, because she has been given this authority, even though she's almost half my age, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that, and I did. I submitted it to her. I got her approval. I said to her, um, I need to change a few things, because I do the translations for, for all our um, advertising, and I said to her, I need to change some stuff around on the, on the graphics that you've done, because um, it doesn't fit, the language doesn't fit. And usually I would just do it, and I submitted it to her, and I said to her, do I have your approval to change a few things around, and so that I can make this fit into the graphics? And she said to me, yes, absolutely, please do what you need to do. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that is submission. And I was like, wow. And it just, it's just changed my whole view on how I look at the job and how I look at her. And yeah, that's all I wanted to really share. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. Okay. Thank you. And why? Why did she do that? Because last week, Joe preached on submission. And that we need to submit ourselves to every authority that the Lord has put over us. Do you understand? It's not just like, oh, she's choosing to submit to everybody. Right? So that's a good example of, of obeying what you've been taught. Okay. Now I'd like to share script, another scripture with you. James chapter 2. From verse 12. And this is verse 12 to 17 and then verse 21 to 26. And it says, so whatever you say... Okay, we'll read it from there. So, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Do you know what the law of liberty is? In my translation of the Bible, New Living, it says the law of love. So speak, in other words, speak in this way and act in this way that you will be judged by the law of love, by the law of liberty. Whatever you say, whatever you do, do it in such a way knowing that you will be judged. 
by the law of love. The boundary of the field that you've been freed into is love. Love for God and love for others. So, so speak and so act that the boundary and the judgment will be love. Did you speak with love? Did you act with love? That's the first bit. For judgment is without, wow. What translation is this, please? Could I please have new living? Because yo, I feel like I'm speaking new international King James old. I'm just so used to my, can, can, you, can you get it? Is it easy? Thanks, Faith. Okay, here we go. So whenever you speak, ah, oh, see, it's English. <laughs> and whatever you do, remember you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. Isn't that so interesting? It's a law that sets you free. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, what do you call that? A paradox. There's lots of paradoxes in the Bible. We might run into a few more of them. For there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy towards you will win out over his judgment over you. Yeah, okay. Come on, Lucas, you're supposed to be encouraging us here. That sounds a little bit like a warning. It is. Everything you say, every way that you live, let it be governed by love because there's a connection between love and mercy. Because if you love others, God will show his love to you. If you show others mercy, he will receive mercy from God. If you forgive others, he will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, yeah. Sorry, that, do you know how ye is spelt? <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Whoa, now you're talking about salvation now. I thought following Jesus was praying a prayer. But we are saved by faith, and that kind of faith that is not lived out can't save you. That's hectic. But that's what it says. This is the Bible, uh, which means it's true. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing. And you say, well, goodbye, and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? What's the answer? No good. So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. 
It's dead and useless. There's more. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was declared right with God because of what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see, he was trusting God so much that he was willing to do whatever God told him to do. His faith was made complete by what he did, by his actions. And remember, that's the whole purpose of this preach, is that we would see God and trust him and believe him so much that it would change us like it changed Abraham. He was willing to take his own son that he loved and... I don't have my knife. Okay, you're lucky. It's the Lord here. He was willing to take his own son that he loved And he was ready to kill him. You're like, no, that's radical. No, it isn't. If you have understood and seen and believed God. And what enabled Abraham to go and be ready to kill Isaac, the son of the promise? What enabled, what kind of faith was that? It was a live, real faith. Why? Because God had promised him, I will make you the father of many nations. And so he figured in his mind, you promised it, I believe it, I'm willing to sacrifice this one. Is there more? And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example of this. She was made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. This is the message this morning. Jesus says on that day, and I think, I think we're going to look at it maybe. No? Hebrews chapter 9, faith. It's earlier on. It says, And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Do you know? I don't know what it is, but by the grace of God, somehow my eyes have been opened recently. Okay? I've read stuff before, and now I'm reading it and I'm realizing, whoa, I'm nowhere near it. Okay? So it's grace. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us where we need to change. And I'm having to change a lot, personally. But what a joy, because why? It's, it's appointed for me to live once and then die and then face judgment. There's another scripture. I'm not going to read it to you. It says, be careful how you build. Be careful because no one can build on any other foundation other than the foundation which is Christ. 1 Corinthians, yes. 
You read it this morning. Good, Gavin. Come on. I love you, Gavin. Okay? And, and what happens is you can build with hay or straw or wood like the little pigs. Or you can build with gold and silver and precious things. Because on the day of judgment, fire is coming. And whatever you've spent your time doing, building, it will be burnt up. Can I tell you, I spent something like 20 years of my life working in business, trying to become something, trying to be well-respected, trying to be a success, trying to make money. And then I took that money and I bought a big house and I'm, I'm like, okay, I've made it. And I realized that whole thing is going to be burnt up. It's worth nothing. Zero. It's worth less than nothing. The Bible says, warn those who are rich among you that those, those treasures that you've hoarded up, they are going to come and they will eat your flesh in hell for eternity. Like, whoa! Is it radical for me to get rid of it? No, it's not radical. It's wise. It's the normal thing to do when you see God, when you see eternity, when you see the normal Christian life is gladly sell everything you have and take hold of the treasure in the field. Does that make sense? But the problem is the whole world is, is lying to us constantly. And we're finding our value and our self-worth and our everything in this stuff that is straw and wood and hay. Okay. And then Andrew says the next thing you should do when you preach is you must share a story or a testimony. Bronwyn, well done. You did that for me. So I'm going to tell you, that was the testimony. Now I'm going to share a story that is a testimony. And it's also scripture. It's the best of all three worlds. Are you ready? Anton, are you ready? Okay, here it is. This is faith. This is Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, who said? There was a certain rich man Jesus did not say, now I'm going to tell you a parable. Do you know this is not a parable? This is the truth. There was a real man. Okay? That's just interesting. It, that's why I say it. it's a story and a testimony and it's real and it's scripture. Phew. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in hurley. who lived each day in luxury. Now, obviously, they're talking about someone else, right? No, I mean, this, this is not us. Yeah, I know, I know, on purpose. Collectively, we are amongst the richest people in the world. If we, have enough, if we have three meals a day, we are in the top 5%. If we have more than one pair of shoes, we've gone up to the top 
we will not talk about how many shoes I have. Who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. At his door, it's interesting, this guy's, yeah, let's carry on. At, at his door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. Another translation says Hades. Okay. Anybody know what Hades is? It's not hell. It's, yes, do you know? Okay, what is it? Oh, no, no, okay, wait. Okay, that, that's, you, you're probably right. But let me tell you, because I don't have time, George. Okay, so, Hades is a waiting place before you go to hell. Paradise was a waiting place before heaven. Okay, remember Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you remember that? Okay, because he hadn't yet died. He hadn't yet paid. The, okay, it's, it's. So, Hades is, you're going to hell, but you're not there yet, okay? But you're separated from God and from heaven and from God's people. Are you with me? Okay? Different theological discussion. Let's move on. But his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, okay? The, the devil lies to us. He gives us all sorts of what it's going to be like when we die. You're going to stop existing. It's a lie. Uh, um, for those who don't know Christ, if you got it wrong, like, you know, you put your bet on that Jesus wasn't right, so it's going to be tough for a little bit, and then it's going to all end. Wrong. It says, torment forever. Like, never ending. Like, okay, sorry, just, I want to, the gravity of it. He was buried there in torment. He saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham or in Abraham's bosom, which was also called paradise, right? The place of comfort, the place where everything is provided, the place. Oh, okay, let's keep going. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to do what? To dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in these flames. Jesus is not telling a parable. This actually happened. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime... During your lifetime. Do you remember I said to you, this afternoon matters. Because it's during your lifetime. And during your lifetime, you and me have the opportunity to live a certain way. That really matters. Because during your lifetime, you get to choose. During your lifetime, where are we? You had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted 
and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. Anyone who wanted to cross over to you from here is stopped at its edge, and no one can cross over to us. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them about this place of torment so they won't come here when they die. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Who's got a Bible? A paper one? Here's mine. Can I borrow this? Thank you, Nick. That will work. A tiny one. Abraham and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, right here. He says, Moses and the prophets have warned them. The scriptures have warned them. In my quiet times this week, I have been shaking with fear at what Moses and the prophets are saying to me about my lifestyle. Okay? They warn. They speak. They speak very clearly. And he says, you've been warned. And your brothers can read their writings anytime they want to. But the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody was sent to them from the dead, they would turn from their sins. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And someone has risen from the dead. Will we listen? Andrew says it's good that you have two stories. And so the second one is in Luke. Faith, chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him this question. Guys, if you are an expert Christian, listen carefully. <laughs> because this is about you and me, the experts, the ones who know the word. Are you ready? Jesus is going to blow us away. Watch this. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Uh, do you think reading Moses and the prophets is important every day? Do you think we can be changed, that we can be saved, that we can be transformed by the word, by Moses and the prophets? Jesus is constantly referring to them. Read them. They're there. They're speaking. If you believe it and if you do it, it'll change your life and you'll be judged according to what you've done. Okay? So he says, read it. What does it say? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Anybody that actually do that? I, I don't. Let's see what he continues. Right. 
That's right, Jesus told him. That's the field, the boundary. Love God, love your neighbor. It's the law of love, the law of liberty. It's the thing that we have been set free to do, is to love God and love each other with all that we have. The freedom is freedom from our own way. It's freedom from our own selfishness, from our own way of life, from our own agenda, from our own schedule, from our own calendar, from the, the rat race of going to work every day, living to work and working to eat and eating to work and working to... It's God sets us free to have... God at the focus to, to, to be, have the kingdom first to love our neighbor, to get into one another's lives, to, to give, to be generous, to not lay up for ourselves, but to share freely, to see that God is the one who gives everything in the first place who has made us a steward of His generosity for others, not for ourselves. Freedom. Because we can be bound by what we own. He sets us free. Right, Jesus told them, do this and you will live. Love God and love your neighbor and you will live. And so the man wanted to justify his actions. What actions? The fact that he was keeping what he had for himself. The fact that he had a nice house and a nice car and a nice, no, he didn't have a car. But I do. And I can tell you, I want to justify myself just like that guy. Uh, but I need two watches because it's fashionable. He, the man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest, that can be translated Josh Jen Elder, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road because he was in a rush to go and play five-a-side. Because he was on his way to community. Because he needed to prepare a very fancy preach and so he didn't have time. And passed him by. A temple assistant translated Josh Jen Deacon or community leader. Walked over and looked at him lying there. Walked over and looked at him. 
But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. Who's here for the first time today? I'm just playing. You can be the despised Samaritan. Came along and when he saw the man, he, what, he, he what? The other two looked. What did this guy, he felt? Deep pity. He loved him. Not standing beside him, kneeling beside him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own Audi. <laughs> and took him to Bloberg Netke. No, to an inn. For us, took him home. where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of cheetahs and took, told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who what? Showed him mercy. What did the previous scripture say? For those who do not show mercy, God will also not show us mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. I know we're late, we're nearly finished. <clears throat> so what are your defenses as you hear this? Jesus is probably speaking to someone here, but it's not me. I'm doing enough. I'm not prepared. You don't understand my own circumstances. And there might be fears. I, I don't have enough to bandage somebody and clean his wounds and give him medicine and put him on my car and take him to... I, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. 2 Corinthians. Faith. We need to learn this bit. This is very freeing. Listen. If you are really eager to give, it isn't important how much you are able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. 
Of course, I don't mean you should give so much that you suffer from having too little. I only mean that there should be some equality. In other words, if you see a brother or a sister and you have and they don't, then give. If you don't have, don't give. It's quite simple. It's very freeing. I was asked, somebody asked me, was it you, Matthias? Yesterday, he said, you know, because yesterday morning we were able to practice some of this. And uh, Matthias said, yeah, I saw that, but how do you know who to do that for? How do you know who to give and who not to give? Because there's so much need. And one of the things that our responses can be, there's too much need. Even if I gave everything away, I wouldn't fix it. You're not called to fix it. But you are called to respond firstly to your Christian brothers. It says in Galatians chapter 6, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, when? Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. In other words, you can't go and fix everyone at the traffic lights. But you will have an opportunity. And God will bring people into your life, into your sphere of influence. And then, if you are wise, you will share and give and be generous. Amen? Some will say, I'm, I'm, I'm already too busy. But we need to be more like Jesus and do only what we see the Father doing. And seek first the kingdom. And simplify and, and reduce our lives and our schedules. So that we can do what He wants. And we can strip off everything that hinders us from living the way that He wants us to live. Amen? So practically, and now I'm finished. God wants us to see Him, to see His Word, to see the weight of what's coming, and to live differently, to change like Flores has changed. Is there anyone here who has never decided to follow Jesus, but today you know, I need to follow Jesus. I need to give him my life. I need to become a follower of Jesus. You've never been forgiven for all of your sins, but the good news is is that Jesus offers those who come to him, he will forgive every sin, and he will accept us into his family. Is there anyone here who's never given their life to Jesus before, never decided to follow him, but today you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. Today you feel like he's calling you, saying, come and follow me, and you want to respond to that. Is there anyone, would you just, I'd love to pray with you. Just just wave your hand at me if that's you. Anyone?
Great. Then let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If like me, you've heard these words and been challenged to live within the bounds of the law of love and to give of yourself to God and to those around you. If that's you and you would like to respond to God, then I'd, I'd love for you to stand. And we're going to pray together. Lord, I'm standing with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your words. Help us to obey you, Lord. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness to us. Lord, would you help us every day to live in this lifetime in such a way as we bring you glory. Help us to, be live, to live and to speak as we will be judged by the law of love. And help us to reflect you and honor you and honor one another more and more in this way. In Jesus' name. Amen.